electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It is the first big rally of the year. Stocks are off to the races after today's jobs report showed wage growth slowing, what it all means for the Fed and the market. This is the make or break hour for your money. Welcome everyone to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand at the highs of the day right now. The Dow is up 726 points. We got more than 2% rallies across the board. Look at the NASDAQ, it's surging 2.7%. Bonds are rallying as well. There's the 10-year note yield all the way down to 3.5%. Weaker wage growth on top of that ISM services number, which was a big miss and showed a drop. Bad news is good news when all eyes are focused on the Fed. It's a broad-based rally. Every sector is in the green. Take a look. Materials and consumer staples are leading the way right now. But it is across the board, and technology is bouncing back strongly after a rough start to the year. As I mentioned, the Nasdaq up 2.7%. Information technology as a sector is up more than 3%. Coming up this hour, legendary value investor Bill Miller III and his son Bill Miller IV here to discuss the outlook for the market, their top picks, including whether they are still bullish on Amazon and Bitcoin. Both have been painful lately, as well as their fund's succession plan. Don't miss it. But first up, let's head to the market dashboard. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. What do you make of this rally? It's, uh, it's impressive, actually, and it shows you the amount of energy that got built up with this real sideways, tight-coiled pattern that we had for the last few weeks. Been pointing that out. Right around 3,800, the market had refused, really, to buckle below that level. That goes all the way back to mid-May of last year in terms of when we first got down there. And you see there actually haven't been that many uh, prolonged periods of time in the last year when you did have such a period where the market really did just sort of churn sideways in this very, very narrow band. Now, what does that mean longer term? Well, we're going to tag 3,900. Looks like we just did here. Hadn't been at that level since December 15th of last year. It is still obviously in a downtrend. But, you know, with the passage of time as we move along, the hurdle for deciding whether, in fact, we've broken the downtrend goes lower. The 200-day average for the S&P is now under the 4,000 mark. So it's less than 3% higher. So that would be one technical test of demand and see if that's going to work. It seemed as if uh, late in the day today, so far this afternoon, uh, people just stopped leaning on the big NASDAQ stocks that have been big, big laggards for a while right now. In fact, you could say that uh, Tesla and Apple going toward multi-year breakdowns uh, over the last couple of weeks, and yet the S&P 500 holding strong uh, maybe was telling you something that there was something underneath there. Now, clearly, the market has not given up the soft landing scenario, and that's where that was part of the story. We'll see if it plays out. Here, in terms of earnings, is what a lot of folks are looking for is the next potential challenge. This is from Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley. What it shows is the P.E. ratio has come down a lot from the peak. We're now under 17 times forward earnings. His argument is earnings estimates have just started to roll over and they will come down and make it hard for the market to perform well in that scenario. I would argue that's a possibility, but it's not necessarily uh, the only way this goes. As you can see, the multiple has plunged in the past without earnings uh, buckling. And also, it kind of leads the way. So the fact that the multiple is down shows you the market's already braced for the earnings level to decline to some degree, Sarah. So for all those people saying earnings expectations are not low enough, 
Markets already sniffed that out. I, I mean, they slipped out part of it. I think the market, the, the decline in earnings expectations, by the way, for the fourth quarter, which we're going to start to see the numbers, they've declined six or seven percentage points over the course of the fourth quarter. That was the same percentage they went down uh, over the course of the third quarter. And then companies report, they beat the numbers on balance, you're a couple percent above that. And so, yes, there's been a decline, probably still will be more of a decline. Margins are going to be under some pressure, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be utterly a surprise to the market itself. Got it. Mike, thank you. We'll see you soon. Mike Santoli. This morning's jobs report showed wage growth maybe slowing, easing inflation concerns. But this morning on Squawk on the Street, Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic said the data doesn't change his outlook at all. I've been looking for the economy to continually slow from the strong position it was at in the summertime. And this is just the next step in that. You know, the question for me has always been, like, how fast is it going to slow? And it's going incrementally. It's steady. It's not super disruptive. But because of that, it really says to me, you know, we got to stay the course. Joining me now is Apollo Global Management Chief Economist Torsten Slock. It's great to have you back on this time from Apollo. Torsten, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So even though Bostic says it doesn't do much for him, the market is taking it as a sign that the Fed won't have to do all that much more or may be able to pause sooner than expected. The, the slower wage growth, the weaker services. Is that the right take? Yeah, I think, I mean, both what Mike is saying and also what Bostic is saying here, I mean, this is the definition of a soft landing. I mean, we have inflation coming down. The economy is not slowing dramatically. It's gradual, it's steady, as Bostic just said. And all that tells you that up to this point, this recession that we all have worried so much about for so long, is not really showing up in the data. There is definitely recessionary tendencies in markets, but in the real economy, it is the case that inflation is coming down as the Fed has been trying to achieve for quite some time now. And at the same time, the labor market is still holding up. And that's definitely good news from a bullish perspective. No, I mean, as, as far as the report is concerned, it really does speak to a soft landing. You got the hiring and then the moderating wage growth on the inflation side. The problem, Torsten, is that the Fed is not going to be satisfied. They're, they are resiliently sticking to their 2% inflation target and their tough talk against inflation. So the risk for the market is that they, that they way overdo it, isn't it? But Totally understood. I mean, the only issue here is that, uh, as Jay Powell has said, and as several FOMC members have said more recently, they will continue to go at it. And here is the quote, until inflation is well underway towards the 2% target. What does well underway mean? If you look at the consensus by the middle of this year, the consensus expects that inflation will be at 4%. And by the end of this year, inflation will, the consensus expects inflation will be at 3%. Is that well underway? Is that enough? for the Fed to begin to take a break. At least the market pricing, if you look at the OIS curve, is expecting that the Fed will peak with the Fed funds rate at 5% by the middle of this year. So that means from a trading perspective, we are only really four or five months away from the Fed beginning to pause. And the consequence of that, of course, is that the Fed will certainly stay very, very attentive to all the details, both on the inflation front and also, of course, on the labor market. But so far today, with average hourly earnings falling in December to 4.6 from 5.1 in November. That's a steady decline in wages. So if that trend continues and with CPI next week also trending lower, that does certainly tell you that the Fed is succeeding in getting inflation down towards and being well underway towards their 2% target. I have a lot of questions about that, but we're going to take a pause, Torsten, if you would. Stay with us because 
We've been monitoring the story all day. Biogen shares have just reopened. They were halted after winning FDA approval for the Alzheimer's drug. Let's get to Meg Terrell with more on how they've opened and what the story is. And welcome back to you, Meg. Well, thank you, Sarah. So uh, Biogen stock looks like it's up about 6% there um, reopening. You know, some analysts had estimated the stock could go above 300. It's about 288 now. Um, this is largely what analysts were expecting for the approval of this Alzheimer's drug. It is the second Alzheimer's drug from Biogen and its partner, ASI. Uh, this one was led by ASI uh, with all of the uh, clinical development and the FDA process. Um, ASI now has announced the price of this drug. It will be 26000 $2,500 per year per patient. That is essentially in line with what analysts had been expecting. It is higher than what a pricing watchdog called ICER had said would be cost effective. They had said about $20,000. So we'll see how that is digested by uh, people who would pay for this drug. And that is really the tricky thing, Sarah, um, because Medicare had essentially come out from the last Alzheimer's drug and said, we're not going to cover any of these Alzheimer's drugs targeting the plaque buildups in the brain uh, that are given accelerated approval, which this one was, except in specific clinical trials, which really limits how these drugs get paid for for Medicare patients. And that's the bulk of patients uh, who have Alzheimer's disease. So that's the next key question uh, for this drug. Uh, what will the reimbursement look like for it? But uh, the second Alzheimer's drug in this class now to be approved and on the market. Well, yeah, and I think, I think that was a question, too, whether it would ultimately be approved. We talked to ASI throughout this whole process, and there were, there were some safety questions uh, about this. So, so good news all around on the slowing of the progression of the disease for ASI. By the way, ASI's Ivan Chung will be on Fast Money today, 5.15 Eastern time. Let's get back to Torsten Slock talking jobs, talking the market rally, uh, talking the slowdown in the economy, Torsten. So, I guess what I'm wondering, you, you expect the Fed to pause along with the market's expectations in the middle of this year. Are you guys as a firm at Apollo, are you, are, is your position that you are then bullish overall, that that will cause a rally and, and the soft landing scenario to play out? Well, I mean, the, the scenario, of course, that the market has priced in is certainly a, a soft landing. The consensus does not expect a deep recession and the consensus also is telling you that earnings should not be slowing down dramatically. So from an investing perspective, I mean, this just speaks to the fact that markets have been a bit more wobbly because we just don't know quite yet how quickly inflation will come down. But if inflation is coming down a little bit faster than the market has been expecting, and if the narrative here in the beginning of 2023 is that well, now we know that inflation has peaked, and now we also have a discussion about how quickly inflation will come down. That's very different from the narrative we had last year, where it was all about how much is inflation going to go up? When will the Fed be done with all these rate hikes? That now we have much more clarity in terms of the outlook, and that should be, and is in particular, of course, today, something that generally should be good both for credit and for equities and for risky assets. Yeah, well, let's just see if the Fed buys it. <laughs> we haven't quite heard that pivot in tone from them yet. Thank you very much, Torsten. Appreciate you joining me on the news today. Torsten Slock of Apollo now. Up next, legendary value investor Bill Miller revealing his top stock picks for the new year, discusses his succession plan with his son in an exclusive interview. It's coming up next on Closing Bell. Quite a rally, highs of the day, up more than 768 points. We'll be right back on Closing Bell. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. 
I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Stocks are trading higher. We're near the best levels of the day. The Dow S&P both up more than 2%, and the Nasdaq is soaring. It's up almost 3%, 2.8% right now. Bonds are rallying, and the dollar is selling off. Joining us now is Miller Value Partners Chairman and CIO, Bill Miller III, also joining us, his son, Bill Miller IV, who is currently the portfolio manager of the Miller Income Fund, but he will soon be taking ownership of the Miller Value Partners later this year. Gentlemen, it's great to have you on. Good afternoon. And I definitely want to talk about the succession story a little bit later, but we've got, we've got a nice rally here. So, so maybe I'll start with you, Bill Miller III, uh, on, on the market, celebrating lower wage growth, weaker services number, and this idea that inflation is falling, but we're not necessarily barreling into some big recession. Is that, is that what you think the story of 2023 will be? How do you, how do you look at it? Sure. I think, um, I think basically that it's been all about macro for the past year or so. It's been about the Fed. The markets tend to have days where 95% of the S&P is up and other days 95% is down. I would. I don't spend any time thinking about where the market's going to going to be or where it's going to where it's going to go. I'm just trying to figure out if there if there are cheap names out there, names we think looking out a year, two, or three, that we can do quite well. And I do think in this market that is absolutely the case. So, so more opportunities for you after what was what was a pretty rough year last year. Where do you see the most value? Are there are there certain sectors or pockets of the markets, or it's it's just individual names for you as always? Well, I, the market's like a giant Rorschach test. You know, you, you, everybody sees what they want to see in it. Um, for us, I, I think it's a lot like, or for me anyway, I think it's a lot like 1939 when the John Templeton, who founded the Templeton uh, Growth Funds. So in 1939, when Hitler invaded Poland, uh, John uh, borrowed $300 and told his broker to buy every, he was in his 20s, to buy every stock in the New York Stock Exchange to trade it for a dollar or less. And he did that, and that, that, that was the basis for his, Fortune and 30, more than 30 of those names were, were in bankruptcy, but only four actually ended up worthless. And I think right now it's pretty much, you know, if you look at Burton Malkiel's random walk down Wall Street, I think if you have, if you throw 15 darts at the market right now, I think you're going to do quite fine if, you're, if your time horizon is a year, year and a half or so. What, what about you, uh, Bill the Fourth, I'll say? Coming off of a year like like last year, where all the focus was about higher inflation and the Federal Reserve raising rates, I know not, you guys aren't necessarily macro, but in such a macro market, how do you view the opportunities this year? Well, I, I think it's really interesting to start with the market's expectation for things and then look where, where there may be opportunities within that. So if you look at actually what the bond market has done over the past few months, their expectations for inflation moving forward are pretty clustered over the next two, three, five, ten, twenty 10, 20 years between two... To two to two three percent, 
annualized over the next two years. So people aren't really paying attention to some of the more near-term data that's coming out around uh, annualized numbers over the past month. What have prices done over the past month? Well, when you actually annualize that, we're, we're getting pretty close to 2%. So the Fed's done a really good job with the forward communication in terms of uh, getting the market to figure out what's going on. Um, Macro-wise, we're in a great environment. Low unemployment uh, you know, growth overall, economy's growing strongly, and, and some really compelling valuations out there. So when I look around, one of my favorite names personally is Chico's, uh, the, the women's retailer. They also own White House Black Market, um, Soma. Phenomenal, phenomenal management team. They're undergoing a big turnaround. They trade at less than three times our estimate of normalized cash flow. So we have we have a position that in our income fund, even though they're not currently paying a dividend, um, we think they may eventually. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's an incredibly cheap stock, and there's a lot of others out there like it. It's really outperformed over the last year. It's pretty much flat. But is retail consumer a good place to be if we are going into a recession? Um, it kind of depends on the name and the valuation going in. So, I, we, again, we don't look at, at buckets like that. Uh, I can tell you another retailer that we own in the income fund, actually one of our top positions is a name called The Buckle, BKE. It's a jeans retailer. You look at them in their malls. Phenomenally well run. The management team owns almost a third of that company. If you were to just look at the company's profitability over time and what they've done, this is a really well run company, very high returns on capital, 8% trailing dividend yield, and going higher, they just reported comps in December of 7% up year over year. So recession or not, they're growing uh, 7%. So, yeah, we think there's a lot of interesting stuff in retail. Yeah, I mean, that, that's been a, it's been a great kind of quiet winter over the last few months. So, so Bill Miller the third, I was going to ask you about Amazon in particular. As, you know, you've been with it from the beginning. It's, it's coming off of a year down 50%. Have you been adding to that position? You think there's Amazon's due for recovery? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the easiest names in the market. A year ago, Amazon was double this price. If it takes three years for Amazon to get back to where it was a year ago, you make 25% a year. I think that'll easily beat the market. AWS, which is their crown jewel, AWS is running at an $80 billion annualized rate and a 20 billion revenues, 20 billion of profit. And we think that I mean, AWS will easily grow 25% a year the next three years. They're 30% operating margins. We think AWS alone right now is worth almost the whole price of Amazon. So you get the advertising business, the logistics yeah. business, which is a relatively new business, retail all, all for free. Uh, I think Andy Jassy is doing a great job. They, they announced yesterday 18,000 layoffs. That's not good for the people to being laid off. But hey, with unemployment like this, I don't think those people are going to have a hard time getting getting jobs. And I think that Amazon this year will report all-time record profits. And there's also a big transition at Amazon, whereas the last year they, they were a negative uh, free cash flow of around $13 billion. We think they'll do 21 to $22 billion of free cash flow in 2023, $42 billion of free cash flow in 2024, and $60 billion of free cash flow in 2025. So I think in terms of quality and a management team that is absolutely as good as it gets, I think you know that that for me is a, is a fairly easy one. And yes, I actually bought more. I bought more bought Amazon more? Uh, personally. Yeah, you bought more. I was going to ask yeah. about your your thoughts on Andy Jassy in particular because the stock did peak just right around the time where he took over as as CEO. And whether some of the stumbles were on him or sort of macro drivers. Yeah, well, you know, Jeff Bezos has already had a good sense of timing, I guess. Uh, I think that, I think Andy's terrific. I've known him ever since he joined Amazon. Um, 
And, I, and when you mentioned stumbles, I don't think there have been any stumbles. People, I think, have, have mis misunderstood what's happened there, which was when the pandemic uh, happened, they had a massive upsurge in business, as you as you may realize, because all stores were, everything was shut. And so the one thing that Amazon uh, ranks number one above everything else is customer satisfaction. And given the choice between perhaps over-hiring, over-building in terms of new supply, and or otherwise uh, dis disappointing the customer, uh, they they chose to overbuild and overhire. That's that's being uh, rectified now, in my opinion. And so I yeah. think within within a year or so, Amazon will be back at normalized. And I think also people are looking at the operating margins in the in the retail business and don't understand that those operating margins are you know about two percent or so. That's that's way 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 below what, what normalized would be in 2002. When Amazon was bleeding red ink and all, their and they had to basically basically cut back on expenses. Operating margins in the retail business were seven percent. Um, right, they're they're negative in, in Europe. So I think longer term, even U.S. domestic retail, in my opinion, can be a ten percent operating margin business, and that that certainly is not in stock. Bill, Bill the fourth. Any other opportunities, new opportunities for you within broader technology, as that has been the eye of the storm, and as you guys look for. Good value. Um, I'd love to mention uh, both of our favorite, uh, uh, one of both of our favorite things here, which is Bitcoin. Uh, that is truly a new monetary technology. What you've just seen with the FTX debacle, um, you've seen all the leveraged hands and weak speculators that are operating on margin. They've all been flushed out at this point. And I think towards the end of the year, the market's going to start looking towards 2024 when the Bitcoin miner rewards are halved. Right. So Bitcoin becomes harder to produce at the margin. Uh, and also, people are going to start looking towards uh, monetary stimulation, which has been going on for hundreds of years in fiat currencies. So, yeah, that is a technology that we own heavily personally, full disclosure. Um, and we are still very, very optimistic about it over the coming decades. So, so yeah, that is one in technology that we like a lot. Your confidence has not at all been shaken by, clearly, by FTX, the fraud. The fact that, the fact that Bitcoin was so inflated by... Fraud, speculation, monetary stimulus, all well, bubblicious type of things. You can frame it as speculation or you can frame it as volatility in a new asset class. And I think it's the latter. Um, and so if you just look at it, it's been volatile over long periods of time, but it's a phenomenal store of value. The network has never been stronger and more secure than it is today. And so there's, you know, hundreds of millions of people around the world that own Bitcoin and growing. And so we're still very optimistic mm. about it as a technology and where it could go. How much of the fund is Bitcoin or Bitcoin related at this point? So in the income strategy, we have a, a small portion of it in things tied to micro strategy, which is the dominant um, leader in that technology. Um, it, it's a small percentage, but, you know, personally, it's a lot bigger than a small percentage. And, and Bill, the third, you, the Silvergate was one that you that you had liked. I know it was in I think it was in one of your in, in the competition that you guys do where you hold the hold stocks for the last year. That, that's a stock that tanked 43% yesterday after they gave an update of much bigger withdrawals tied to FDX than people were expecting layoffs. I and mean, it was a terrible update. Are, are you still bullish on that stock? Yeah, well, the reason it tanked was because I just I bought the stock personally the day before that. So that's that's why it went down a lot. That happens anytime I try and buy these sorts of things. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we bought so we bought you know Amazon, we, we bought Amazon at the at the open. Uh, when it when they, when it uh, came public, we sold it after it doubled a year later. We bought it back around 90, and it went to six. 
but we kept buying it. I think with, the, with Silvergate, so I like group Silvergate together with Coinbase because we own uh, we own Coinbase in the in the fund. We own um, uh, and, and I personally, and then we also own it own Silvergate. So, but they're completely different sorts of things. Coinbase is more of a more of a direct play on the crypto space. And I want to emphasize something that Bill Four said, which is that Bitcoin. There's there's no fraud in Bitcoin. Uh, you go back to the pandemic when the Fed had to come in and, and there's a scramble for liquidity and treasuries were being bid through the roof and everything else, mortgage-backed securities were collapsing. And the Fed had to come in and, and clean those markets by just injecting massive amounts of liquidity. Bitcoin trades 24-7, 365. There was no, there wasn't even a hiccup in the Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin market. So the FTX collapsed. That was a centralized uh, enterprise, as was Celsius. And I think that it's very important to understand that Bitcoin is dramatically different from that. Somebody said to me the other day, hmm. oh, Bitcoin has been really, really terrible and, uh, and because it was 60, 70,000 and now it's like 17,000. And I said, well, let's look at it here this way. When, on the market low in, in March of, of 2020, um, bit, uh, the market was around 2,300 and Bitcoin was around 5,500. And so since the market low through last week, the market's up 70% and Bitcoin's up 190%. So as Bill three, uh, Bill four said, it's it has been more volatile, except for recently in the past month or so, it's been less volatile than the market. So you know, I, I I'm, I'm optimistic on all those things. I mean, a Coinbase, so Coinbase has a seven billion dollar market cap. It's got five billion dollars in cash. Its bonds yield fifteen percent, and I think that I think that Brian Armstrong is an excellent CEO. It's it's much broader than Silvergate, which is actually an FDIC insured bank. And interestingly enough, Silvergate now trades has about an eighteen dollar tangible book. The stock is eleven. Um, it was Silvergate was I think around one hundred and thirty a year ago, and now it's eleven. Um, they met all of their deposit uh, withdrawals uh, relatively easily. They had a very liquid balance sheet. Their their tangible common equity ratio is higher than J P Morgan's. Uh, they were too concentrated in the crypto space. Somebody came out today and said I think correctly that. They were too concentrated in the deposit space. They'll probably yeah. have to diversify that. That's that's. I think that's accurate. But um, I, I would guess that you know a, a bank that a trading below tangible book, and with a with a, all the all their uh, they have more more cash than they have deposits right now. So I I would guess that in a year from now, Silvergate would likely be at least tangible book, which would have it be up. You know, would be 70 percent. Um, FTX was a thirty two billion dollar company in, in the second week in November. And Coinbase is a seven billion dollar company today, and it's it's a dominant U.S. based company. So I, I like both those things. So you're back in it still, Bill. Bill, three. I got to ask you about Tesla because I think personally for the for the stock contest, you were you've been short. Is that true for the last year? And that's certainly been a winning trade as the, no, the bears not, have pounced on not, every piece not, of bed. Not for the past year, but more recently, and I actually shorted more today. Okay. So and, you and, shorted and, more the, Tesla today. Today, yeah, I mean, I, I think. Look, I think Tesla's been a phenomenal com company. I think Elon Musk is a genius, um, but you know, a three hundred and eighty billion dollar market cap against the General Motors at fifty, uh, you know, more, more than probably the top five automakers combined. Tesla's now losing market share. They're cutting price. BYD is introducing a luxury uh, uh, version over in, you know, over in China, and you know, I, it's a phenomenal company, but it's not worth three hundred and eighty billion dollars in my in my opinion. I don't, you've probably never heard of the great short seller, Bob Wilson, who got carried out when he was short Resorts International when they first got a license in Atlantic City. And then he disappeared for six months and he, they, his brokers sold him out of a lot of stuff. And one of the points he made was never what he learned from that. Is he said, never short on valuation alone. 
said, but wait until it breaks. And then that's the time to, to he used a, a colorful four-letter word, but he just said, that's the time to be short. So, you know, I, I, I've shorted it recently. I've shorted more today. You know, if it goes up, I'll short more. So it's, so it's on this idea that you think the valuation is still too high, even though it's sold off 70% over the last year, and, and the momentum is to the downside, basically. I just don't think it's worth more than the top five automakers in the world combined. And all of whom are coming with massive electric vehicles. There haven't been any electric vehicles. What killed Resorts International was ultimately they gave more licenses to the, to the companies in Atlantic City. And so while it was idiotically expensive when it had a monopoly, it, it collapsed after that. And I think that I think that Tesla is too expensive. It, Tesla's much more profitable, obviously, than the current auto companies. It's got a lot of free cash flow. The, 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 the earnings multiple, if you consider it a tech stock, uh, you know, is is not out of whack, certainly with its with its dominance in electric vehicles. But the, the issue, the difference between Tesla and other technology stocks is that it's selling into a bad business. The auto industry globally is a bad business. It's over. It's got too much ca uh, uh, too much capacity and they earn low returns on capital. And so I, I think that that I think with with Tesla, it's, it's fighting a, a, a bad tide on that one. Bill, Bill, four. So I, I know you, can, you don't short in the fund, right? So you don't have the test. That's a that's a personal pick there. Clearly, it doesn't sound like you guys like the auto sector right now. I was just wondering if there was any any sort of related related bet that you have on now. Do you guys still like the airlines or any of the transportation sector? Hey, sir, one thing. We, we, I, we actually own General Motors and like that a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. There so in addition but to yeah, that, you, you mentioned it was a tough cycle now, though. No, well, cyclical cycles, cyclicals in general, I think, are really attractively priced at this time. So um, uh, one sector I think is really interesting here is the home builders, which have collapsed uh, over the past mm -hmm. year or so as mortgage rates have spiked, which hurts you know, home affordability. The reality is, you know, I put a piece on our website that said, are, are we in 2008 again when prices started rolling over last year? And the answer is no. We're in a fundamentally different position than we were in 2008. There's a very strong need for housing in the country, in the U.S. today. And so home builder stocks are super interesting. Beezer trades at three times this year's earnings estimate, which is, all, again, lower than it was last year, about half of what it was last year. And it trades at three times that. So I think there's a really uh, compelling case to be made for home builders and stocks right now. So that, But that's also kind of a bet that the Fed is going to be done sooner rather than later. And it, right? Correct. Well, be. there's a limit. There's a limit to the uh, extent to which they can hike rates, and that's for sure. And the market's onto that. I wanted to ask you what well, we have you both. The reason we have you both is there's a succession happening at the at the firm. Bill three, can you can you tell us a little bit about how it's going and what it's going to look like and what's different? Sure. Um, it's it's going a lot slower than I would have hoped in terms of the mechanics of <laughs> splitting into two companies. So um, Bill 3 will, will take over and, and own Miller, will be the majority owner, I'll be minority owner, of Miller Value Partners. And that will have the income strategy. We have a, 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 a small cap, a deep value strategy in that uh, side. And then uh, the opportunity strategy will migrate over to patient capital, which is a majority owned by my colleague, Samantha McLemore. And so it'll be two completely independent, two completely independent companies and um, and I'll, I'll let Bill three talk about maybe some of the strategies that he's thinking about. But but I would just I would just say that I, you can expect that there will be I would say new products in both of those in both of those areas. And the, the thing that is um, I would just say an interesting uh, and positive coincidence is when when I took over the the equity business and uh, at Leg, 
Uh, that was in 1990. Uh, my late partner, Ernie Keeney, was then 72 years old in 1990. I was 41 years old in 1990. And um, we had had a very bad year in 1990. Mm -hmm. And so I took over at the beginning of 1991. And, um, and so everybody said, well, gee, what's going to happen here with this, with this guy that is really proven? And I proceeded to beat the market for 15 consecutive years. Yep. We had we a bad year in, in both the opportunity fund and in, uh, and in the income fund in, in the past year. But, I, but both funds are well ahead of the market uh, in the early going here. And I think that I think both of those funds are going to do extremely well in the next several years. So, so tell us more about that, Bill Four, and, and what, what the strategies will be and how they'll be different under your leadership than your father's. For sure. I could not be more excited about uh, MVP 2.0, Sarah. So active management has completely lost its way. Um, it's because the customer experience is terrible. It's not really about the customer. It's about the manager. And so for MVP 2.0, it's going to be about the customer because we are going to be the customer. And so we have a couple of strategies that we've been incubating over the past year to two, actually longer than that, that we're really excited about that are aggressive. I can't say too much about them today. Um, I will say they're aggressive. They're unlike anything that's out there right now and they're going to be um, coming out in the imminent future. We're going to have a lot of funds personally in them and uh, we are super excited about what we can deliver I think for the customer moving forward. Well we certainly appreciate the time you've both given us today to talk through that and, and a number of the picks that are interesting in the market right now. Bill Miller the fourth, Bill Miller the third. Thank you. Thanks sir. For Miller appreciate Value. It. Appreciate it. Take a look at Costco, one of the big winners in the S&P right now after stronger than expected December sales. When we come back, what that says about the strength of the consumer. Stock's up 7.5%. The market is on a roll here. We're up about 750 points. Stay with us. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. The holiday tra travel debacle not over for Southwest and an SEC filing this morning. The company said it expects a fourth quarter loss after last month's cancellations. As a result, Southwest is looking at costs of up to $825 million thanks to revenue loss from canceled flights and reimbursement to customers. Joining us now is Karen Seidman-Becker. She is the CEO of Clear, the security identity platform used at major airports and stadiums. Karen, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. So I was really interested in talking to you for, for a perspective on, on what you're seeing as far as demand right now. You've got a clear window. We had seen leisure booming. Is that still the case? Is there any sign of a slowdown? No, we think travel is in major growth mode. Last year, we were calling it travel palooza. This year, we've taken to calling it super travel palooza. It, traffic in the clear lane over the holidays was up over 50% from 2019. Morgan Stanley's out talking about corporate travel being up this year. Hybrid travel, which is that hybrid of business and leisure. People don't want to stay in their apartment for their four-day weekend, so they're hitting the road. Experience economy, revenge travel, it is alive and well. Travel is in major growth mode. We are extremely bullish in 2023. And how many travelers actually are using Clear? And, and where's the opportunity there for you? So we have over 15 million travel members on the platform. And, uh, and today, over 6% of the traffic across the U.S. in airports are coming through clear lanes. In the airports that we're in, between 10 and 
of travelers are coming through clear lanes. We're now in 48 airports and adding more. And so, uh, you know, travel is in major growth mode. But I'll also say, as you talked about with uh, the past few weeks with Southwest, travel is hard and it's getting harder. And it's not just what you saw last week. It's what you saw all last year as travel was coming back. And I think it's really important. Uh, You know, we're on the side of the American traveler, and we've seen Secretary Buttigieg and others out talking about a passenger bill of rights. And we do think a common sense passenger bill of rights makes a ton of sense. It is just too hard to travel. And it's in growth mode, and we got to make it easier. People expect it, and the American travelers deserve it. What, what does that mean exactly, a, a bill of rights? So, so do you think that more pressure needs to be applied, in this case, to Southwest and the airlines? I think a common-sense passenger bill of rights, broadly speaking, this is a really connected industry. There's airlines, there's airports, there's federal and TSA, and I just think that people need to come together on behalf of American travelers to make it easier. You know, people expect it now when they go out and get an Uber or when they order food. These are what they're experiencing, frictionless experiences, and they deserve that in their travel experience. And so not quite sure what should be in it, but I certainly know a common sense bill of rights to protect travelers. If you look out to 2030 and it's not that far away, you'll have another million travelers coming through airports. That's a 3% CAGR from 2019. If this is where we are today, where are we gonna be out a few years? So I do believe innovation, partnership, collaboration, and passengers should be protected. Again, common sense. Right. But what's your perspective on this whole nightmare situation for the Southwest flyers that that had canceled flights? Is, is it is it something that could have been avoided? Clearly, the other carriers didn't have as big problems. I think if you I can't talk to Southwest specifically, I think what I can say is if you look at 2022, whether it be weather, you know, whether it be air traffic control, whether it be air, it's just it's a very a fragile industry. And so uh, it's hard. People love traveling. And we've got to come together as an industry to protect American travelers and make it safer and easier. It's just, uh-huh. it's good. there are going to be more passengers every year coming through airports. So what are we going to do to provide them frictionless experiences? It's incumbent upon us. us. We at Clear are launching new products like reserve lanes for free for travelers. We announced pre-check last week at a lower price, greater value and greater availability. I think that's one great solution to get more people into the TSA pre-check, in this case, powered by Clear Solution. And so that helps create easier experiences through airport security. We've just got to keep launching products, innovation, and collaboration as an industry in order to make it a better experience for travelers. American travelers deserve it. I, I wanted to ask you about that new partnership you just announced, TSA PreCheck, how that works and, and how many airports you're going to be expanding that to. It was something that the analysts were, have been looking for. So TSA PreCheck powered by Clear will be clear enrolling uh, travelers in the TSA PreCheck program at any of our locations. Today we're at 48 airports. We have uh, hundreds of enrollment locations. And so people will be able to enroll without an appointment. You know, we're there at 4.30 in the morning. Our awesome ambassadors are still there after 10 o'clock at night. So easy, accessible, lower price. And TSA will still be doing the screening, but we'll be able to enroll people. And we think that there's tens of millions, like more than 50 million uh, American travelers who could be in the TSA PreCheck program. I think today the number is something like 12 million. So we have a ways to go and it does make it easier for travelers. And so uh, we want to make it really easy for them to enroll. And, And so we're really excited to launch that either on a standalone basis or bundle it with our Clear Plus lanes. Again, these are the kinds of products that people have outside of airports and outside of travel, and we're excited to bring it to them here. Speaking of outside of travel, I was going back and looking at some of your interviews, and 
the discussion around your IPO back in 2021 about the potential for growth outside of travel and, and airlines and I, the te- using the biometric technology in other places like healthcare uh, and car rentals. Can you tell us how that is going, sure. uh, that expansion, and, and what it ultimately is going to mean for the top and bottom lines and when? Uh, So we announced our partnership with Avis, so you can uh, verify now, I think in 54 Avis locations across the country in the Avis app, verify with Clear, and then you you can skip the counter and go straight to your car. So we have taken that nationwide in the back half of December, and we're really excited about that, right? It's any place, identity, to have a better customer experience. And in this case, the platform is in the Avis app. Uh, And so we'll be announcing some other things in healthcare so stay tuned. But identity is foundational online and offline to make experiences safer and easier. How it will help Clear, it will add members, bookings, and free cash flow, which are the three things we drive at Clear. Got it. Karen, thank you for the update on the business, on the travel, on the booming travel industry. Appreciate it. Thanks. Karen Seidman Becker from Clear. We've got more breaking news from Washington on the House Speaker vote. Elon Moy with the details from Capitol Hill. Now what, Elon? Well, Sarah, the House has now voted to adjourn until 10 p.m. as Kevin McCarthy gets closer to holding that speaker's gavel. Republicans wanted to give themselves a little more time before holding the 14th round of votes because some members need to get back into town after leaving for personal or family reasons. In addition, they also wanted to spend some time working on those six remaining holdouts to see if they could potentially sway them to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Already today, McCarthy has flipped 15 Republicans into his camp. We'll see if he can seal the deal, perhaps sometime tonight, but we'll have to wait till 10 p.m. to find out if he can close the deal. Sarah. Got it. Elon, thank you very much. Elon Moy in Washington. We are going to go straight here into the closing bell market zone with a big rally on our hands, up 7.57 on the Dow. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. We've got Melissa Repco on Costco, which is an especially big winner today. But there are no shortage of them. Let's kick it off broad. The Dow's up 760. The S&P 500 is soaring 2.5%. Every sector is participating. But the tech stocks are in the lead, up 2 and 3 quarters percent. Apple and Amazon and Microsoft in particular, Mike. If, this, if, if we got a flavor today of what to expect for the rest of the year, and that is slowing inflation. We saw that in the wage numbers. Slowing economy. We saw that in the services number. Are mega cap tech stocks the way to go after they've been beaten down, if you expect more of this? I don't know that that's the leap uh, I would make in that scenario because they have been uh, punished so hard. And then today was a real catch-up move. I'm looking, you know, for example, software stocks underperforming today. So it really is a handful of names that are doing well. Of course, semis uh, were really spring-loaded. They're popping. But I would basically say today was a little bit of relief, uh, added evidence for the soft-ish landing camp that's out there. Uh, you know, one of the, the dream bullish scenario has been the so-called immaculate disinflation, where you can actually have inflation decline to acceptable levels without a cost of lost jobs or, or, or negative GDP. Obviously cannot declare that that's the case, but today was at least pointing vaguely in that direction. I got to say, another score for the bond market, honestly, because what we've sure. seen these yields lower and the stock market not getting on board, bond market more sort of pessimistic on the data. And what we saw from that services number showed they're right. We're now at, what, two-week lows on the 10-year, the 30-year, and the two-year. But, but still, it does feel like the, mar- the bond market was out front here. 
There's no doubt bond market was there. But see, the bond market is telling you inflation is going to uh, become more manageable and probably is going to come down hard over the next couple of years. It didn't tell you whether it's going to happen the easy way or the hard way. So that's the part that we need the data. And stocks have to sort of wait for that to, to know exactly how to reprice. What, what stands out in terms of the biggest winners beyond tech? Because... I mean, everything's rallying today, yeah. but you do have some notable performance. REITs, for instance. I, I guess it's just a lot of the, the names that have gotten beaten up on higher yes. rates. That's basically what it is. I mean, there's a lot, there's some internal noise in there, too. For example, Staples were really strong, but that was because Costco, in part, had really good December numbers, and that stock was leading the way. Uh, so I think, in general, consumer-related have done relatively well. You obviously have industrials have already been outperforming for a while. So, uh, you know... I don't know that it's all about the specific macro message of the jobs number and the ISM services number as much as people were leaning negative. Uh, there's been a, a definite hesitancy coming into this year to add risk. And today, I think uh, you, you basically had an excuse to do so. And over the course of the day, I mean, the way this market operates right now, you get all these one day option bets that people start to stampede into. And therefore, we run right to the next round number on the S&P, which is thirty nine hundred. Got it. We're actually up for the week now. S&P 500 up two and a half percent today and for the week as a whole up one point six percent. Let's talk Tesla. Shares are getting a little bit of a boost today. It's still down 70 percent from the highs. We spoke with value investor Bill Miller earlier this hour. He told me he personally shorted more Tesla today. Here's why. Three hundred and eighty billion dollar market cap against the General Motors at 50, uh, you know, more, more than probably the top five automakers combined. Tesla's now losing market share. They're cutting price. BYD is introducing a luxury uh, uh, version over in, you know, over in China, and you know I, it's a phenomenal company, but it's not worth three hundred and eighty billion dollars in my in my opinion. And then went on to explain, Mike, that you you don't necessarily always short because of valuation, but it's already broken and the momentum is is lower. Thought that was interesting. He doubled down. They doubled down on uh, both Millers on Bitcoin on Silvergate, which yeah. is the embattled. Bitcoin bank and added more Amazon. Overall, what do you think of his calls? Well, the Tesla call, I mean, certainly, you know, valid as a premise in terms of saying that there should be some convergence and valuation between Tesla and, and legacy automakers, perhaps. But, you know, when Tesla was a trillion dollars, it was a little bit more skewed, I would argue. Uh, so Tesla's kind of coming back in the zone uh, of maybe even being able to grow into this valuation. That aside, I found it interesting that they were still uh, very loyal to Coinbase and Silvergate and not just Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin, as a premise, is, you know, if you believe in it, it's more of a, uh, an alternative asset. It's a future kind of monetary technology, digital gold, whatever you want to call it. But that didn't mean that the business models like Coinbase's and Silvergate's that are kind of, you know, in the orbit of crypto were necessarily values, at least before they crashed recently. But both have very much crashed uh, down toward, you know, rock bottom levels, especially when it comes to Silvergate. Yeah, well, he said, you know why it fell 40 percent yesterday? Because I bought it the day before. Yeah, right. um, Phil Miller with a little, I don't know, humility uh, on that on that Without call, a doubt, but, yeah. but has been buying. It's down another six and a half percent today. Let's talk about Costco, because you mentioned the staples are getting a boost. Costco's rallying after reported a solid holiday stretch. Sales in December coming in up seven percent to nearly twenty four billion dollars. Melissa Repco joins us. Usually Costco doesn't move a whole lot on these numbers. So this must have been a lot better than expected. 
Yes, there were a lot of different pieces, Sarah, that jumped out to investors. And one is the strength of particular categories. In a lot of ways, Costco is showing not just its strength during the holiday season, but kind of the strength, the unique strength of its business. It has a lot of services that drive traffic and traffic was up during December. And some of the things that people were buying were tires, you know, something that people consider largely a necessity. They were also coming to its optical store, its pharmacy and lingering in its food court, which all bode well for drawing people in, keeping them there and getting them to make purchases. And of course, it does have a unique business model with its membership. And at a time like this, people may see that membership as sort of a down payment that continues to drive them there, even as they start to make trade-offs about purchases. Does it say anything about the competitors, Target, Walmart? What do, what do you glean for, for, from this for the others? Well, one of the things is that its discretionary purchases did do quite well compared to what November numbers were. And so that may indicate we had a later holiday season and Walmart and Target may have seen that as well, where they saw a lull in October and November. Potentially they saw a bounce in December. We'll see how it goes for them. But it also could bode well for Target and Walmart because they are also one-stop shops like Costco, where people can get a lot of different things with one place and may see value in, in going to those stores as well. So we'll see if they got a bit of a bounce back in December like Costco did. Melissa, where are the analysts that, that going into the new year on, on retail broadly? Because la last year it was really the lower income that got hit and, and we saw that reflected in some of the stock performance. What, what is the idea this year about a slowdown in the consumer and where that's going to hurt the most? So really a lot of the names that analysts are calling out going into the new year is a lot of the value players. So Walmart is one of them, but also off-price has become a standout because people are looking for that treasure hunt experience, still going to, to names like Burlington and Ross. And so that's become a hot area. So we'll see if those continue to hold up. Luxury seems to be, again, more resilient. And it's worth noting that Costco does have a higher income customer than uh, typically BJ's or Sam's Club does. So that may also be contributing to its December results and may help it in the new year. But in general, value does still seem to be the name of the game going into 2023. Yeah, and the only two retailers down today are Ulta and Bath and & Body Works, and both have been big winners, especially Ulta. Melissa Repko, Melissa, thank you very much. If you look at thank some you. of these consumer discretionary stocks, Mike, and into the year, I mean, first of all, they've been strong and they've actually outperformed the market at a time where we're worried about a consumer slowdown and possible recession. For sure. I mean, let's keep in mind that, you know, the, the bond market and the stock market are celebrating a deceleration in wage growth last month to a 4.6% annual rate. So in other words, wage growth has remained very strong on top of a pretty good uh, you know, consumer cushion that was built up through the pandemic, through all the stimulus. So I think that the steady state of spending is, is there. Also in consumer discretionary, uh, home builders aren't doing a lot today in terms of outperforming, but they're up more than 5% for the week. Yep. Uh, the 30-year mortgage rate is now back down, I think I saw it today, 6.2. Uh, so obviously well below the recent highs. So a lot of things are working toward forestalling that moment when you get consumer fatigue setting in. You don't want to celebrate prematurely. Obviously, there's a decelerating uh, job market, even if it's still relatively strong. And you can't necessarily know what the numbers are going to bring because the leading indicators are what they are, and they've been pointing lower. But for now, uh, there's enough to go around in terms of uh, income and revenue. Well, I think the big risk here is that the Fed just is, is clearly not as excited about the market uh, of these lower inflation numbers and, the, and these soft landing numbers. And in part, they can't be, right? They don't want to see an easing of financial conditions. But if they keep talking tough and they keep 
you know, holding on to their resolve around inflation not coming down fast enough when inflation is a lagging indicator, then do we have to start talking about a harder landing? No, I think that's totally legitimate. If, in fact, the most of the committee at the Fed believes that there is a particular number in terms of unemployment that they really feel is going to be necessary to decisively take care of inflation. Now, they're not going to say that. They have their estimates of where it goes. But nothing is going to override the inflation numbers actually coming down into their target range. If that happens, then they're not going to say, you know what, but we still have to eliminate a bunch of jobs here because we want to just finish what we said we're going to do. I do think there's a risk. The market can get overexcited in the short term, and you're going to have them not want to see financial conditions ease too much. I just don't think we're there yet at 3,900 in the S&P. Yields, you know, corporate spreads have been fine, but they haven't been back to their narrowest level. So, you know, that's a risk out there. We still have four weeks to the next Fed meeting. They can definitely take the opportunity to try and put the market back on its heels. But I'm not sure to me that there's this really fierce standoff between the markets and the Fed that uh, that we like to say there, that there is. The other thing to point out, and I know you and I have talked about this, but just how strong January has been for for primary market activity, for yeah. bond issuance, basically, especially in investment grade, especially in some of these investment grade banks, much stronger and a big reversal from December. What does that tell us? Right. So the first few days of the year, I mean, the issuers were active. You saw flows come back into investment grade bond funds. Uh, that's something that had been on the, in the negative column last year. Uh, so basically, people are willing to lock in yields. Companies are still feeling like they can they can do fine if they do pay what the market uh, will bear right now in terms of rates. So it's net bullish for uh, risk assets in general when you do have you know that that money flowing into corporates. Got it. We've got less than two minutes to go. We're just showing yields now down to 3.56 on the 10-year. That's a few-week low there. Uh, Moving lower as bonds rally, the dollar sells off and stocks take off. We're off the highs, but we're still up nicely, 680 points or so on the down. Mike, what do you see in the internals? Yeah, they've been strong. So as you've been saying, it's a broad rally, although it doesn't look like we're going to get to one of those you know, true kind of mega uh, upside breadth numbers where you'd have 90% of the volume to the upside. So we're just short of that, but still uh, quite strong. Look on a weekly basis at the S&P value versus growth, because, you know, it's been the same story as last year where value has radically outperformed by almost three percentage points this week alone. Last last year, it was more than 20 percentage point spread in performance, although there's some catch up from growth today. And then the volatility index backing off, as you would expect, with the big market rally, with the jobs number in the past, still in the low 20s, above 21. Let's not forget we got the CPI number coming in four trading days on Thursday. Let's not forget that CPI number, Mike. Thank you. As we head into the close, take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We're up more than 2%, 700 points, a celebration of slower wage growth, which is what the Fed wants to see. Weaker services, the first contraction we've seen post-COVID. It sounds like bad news for the economy, but it's good news for the market because it means the Fed won't have to raise rate interest rates high as, as high as they potentially might. S&P up two and a quarter percent into the close. Broad rally, every sector's in it. NASDAQ is surging as well, almost three, uh, 2.55%. Apple, Amazon, Costco, and Microsoft are your biggest winners. Have a good weekend. That's it for me. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.